Welcome to the Perp Web Podcast, hosted by Joe Bosch. Today's topic is going to be about differential hypoxemia, actually mastering differential hypoxemia or hypoxia. Um, let's get through our regular housekeeping notes if we can, please. Contact us at contact at perfusioneducation.com. Our call-in number, and I'll read it out for those of you that may be driving, 832-239-5358. That's 832-239-5358. Check out our scroll bar that's going along. It has all of our social media. Make sure that you like us, follow us, share us, subscribe especially, and get click the notifications icon on the YouTube, but on the Facebook and the Twitter, all of that. Make sure you do all of those things. And most importantly, please make comments. Your comments really matter, good or bad. I, and I appreciate the criticism for when I do well, for when I don't do so well, uh, but appreciate your positive comments as well. Um, check out our MediWeb app. You can find it on the iTunes store or you can find it on Google Play. This is a really cool app. Um, it has a perfusion section, an ECMO section, hemodynamic monitoring section, conversions. It has a, uh, an IV dose rate calculator. So it's excellent for any ECMO specialist, especially a nurse ECMO specialist. But we also have, and it's great for perfusionists because you can do all of your perfusion quick calcs before your case and get all of the information you need for your record with just adding in the basic patient demographics. Um, and then additional to that, you have a standalone IV dosage and rate calculator app that you can get. If you want to give one to an ICU nurse, you can get it for it's 99 cents. And it be, it's invaluable. Both of these are invaluable tools in the operating room or the critical care unit. Um, anesthesia can use it too. Um, so it's really good for CRNA. So anybody can use these apps. They're very affordable. They come with free updates. Uh, and I'm very proud of them. And we keep, uh, we've just recently done a recent update. So check those apps out, please. Uh, you can listen to our podcast. We stream live um, as well as uh, recorded. And you can check out your favorite streaming platform, whether it be Spotify or Podbeam or whatever it is that you like to use, Apple, uh, iTunes, any of that kind of thing. So just look up PerfWeb and you'll find us there. Okay. So before I get to today's topic, um, you know, one thing that I want to mention to the audience is that when we do these programs, it is required for us to do them live. And if we could record all of these things, it would be so polished and so perfect all the time. So I want to thank the audience and the crew and everybody for enduring through uh, getting the kinks worked out of, uh, from the virtual simulation. Doing simulation is hard enough. Doing simulation virtually over the web uh, with multiple cameras and all of that kind of thing is challenging, but I think we're really, we're getting better at it. Um, again, these programs have to be live and so what it's live tv when we have hiccups or problems occur it's sort of obvious and sometimes it's pretty frustrating for me but it's the rules in order for you to claim credit for this 
And in order for us to offer credit for this through the ABCP, it has to be live. So with that said, we're gonna get started on differential hypoxia, mastering it, what is it, why does it happen, how do you guard against it, how do you identify it, and what do you do about it? So let's start off with the uh, ECMO simulator first, and then I'll go over and we'll go through everything. So let's get a basic overview of that. Okay, you wanna switch to the overhead view? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think so. The, the no, camera five, the overhead view. So here's our patient here, and you can see that he's intubated, um, he's cannulated here in the femoral vein and for access and femoral artery here. He has a pulse oximeter on his right hand, which is the correct place to have it in this uh, particular case. He also has an impella in, an impella CP, which is operating at uh, three, 3.1 liters per minute. We're using a flow track on his radial arterial line, which is started off on the left side, which eventually will come to the right side, and we'll show you that during the simulation. Uh, go ahead and go to the Mevo camera seven. So let's take a look at our basic ECMO circuit if we can. We have the venous line coming out here. We'll follow it down. It comes through a bubble sensor here. This is where we monitor our access pressure into the centrifugal cone, out of the centrifugal cone, into the oxygenator. Now here's the oxygen line. Heat exchanger connection would be in the back. It now exits the oxygenator here as arterialized blood goes through our flow meter, through our pressure, our, our return pressure uh, 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 transducer, and then returns back to the patient in the femoral artery that's on the same side. Again, the impella is on this side and the, uh, the, both the access and the return are on this side. The patient has a Foley in, uh, but no other issues. So let's go ahead and this is the basic circuit. And can you show our flow and our, our uh, things like that, the Bevo on the ECMO circuit itself? So this is where you'll see the flow of the ECMO and the access pressure and return pressures are demonstrated there. And then we'll go back to that Mevo and I'll point out over here our actual ECMO simulator, which is from Curtis Life Resources. And this is the simulator over here. Are they able to see it? So everything, there you go, is connected here to the, step back, to the uh, ECMO simulator that you see it. It runs off of an iPod. So the lines are coming in, going out. I have a reservoir here for doing various things. Okay, that's fantastic, thank you. So I'm gonna overlay this. So let's go ahead and start this simulation uh, with my slides first. So we're gonna do just slides. Okay, so again, uh, our conversation today is about mastering differential hypoxia, and I'm Joe Basha. I am a perfusionist. What is differential hypoxemia or hypoxia? It's known by several different things, north-south syndrome, uh, Harlequin syndrome. There's a variety of different names for it. But 
before we really understand what it is, we need to understand basic veno-arterial ECMO. One, it's mostly used for circulatory support. Two, it can support both or either the LV and the LV. It can be done centrally or peripherally. The return is into the arterial system, therefore it must always be oxygenated. You never wean veno-arterial ECMO by weaning your FiO2. You're pumping into the arterial tree. Can be used with concurrent devices such as Impella, Tandem, intraortic balloon pump. Can be used with moderate to severe ventricular dysfunction and it can be used with or without concomitant pulmonary failure. But you better be careful in this case. So when you have peripheral cannulation VA ECMO and you have concomitant pulmonary failure, that is ripe for problems. So let's basically understand VA ECMO with peripheral cannulation. Here you have your access, which is usually up all the way into the inferior vena cava, sometimes even in the right atrium, coming down. It goes down into the pump, out of the pump, through the oxygenator, and returns to the femoral artery that you see here. Now, it could be on either side. It could be in this femoral artery as well, which is the case uh, that we have today. The impella is actually in this section. So that's a basic veno-arterial ECMO circuit. So the next question you have to ask is, what conditions must exist for differential hypoxia to occur? Well, one, you have to be on VA ECMO. Two, you have to have residual or improving LV function or, and this is very important, have an LV support device in place like the Impella. Balloon pump won't do this. It has to be, in, in this case, I don't think there's any other, possibly tandem, but really, Impella is where this could actually occur. And have severely compromised pulmonary function of any cause. So it doesn't matter the cause of the pulmonary dysfunction. If you're not gas exchanging through the lungs, that's what is the important point here. So why am I talking about Impella and how this can happen with differential hypoxia? Because you don't have to have an Impella. There's a variety of different reasons, and I'm going to show you that a little bit. But let's just look at these diagrams. You look over here, and you see the normal flow. We're all very familiar with the normal flow of the heart. Here you have the left atrium. Whatever returns through the pulmonary veins into the left atrium will make its way into the left ventricle and will make its way out into the aorta. The impella basically is going to do the exact same thing. Even if this heart is not functioning well, whatever the flow is from this impella is going to be ejected out into the aorta and pumped through the rest of the body. It's going to get as far as it can. 
And that's what's important here, is whatever the blood gases are, the PO2 is, the saturation is, in this chamber is what it is going to be here with the impella. So this is classic north-south syndrome, Harlequin syndrome, differential hypoxia, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't make any difference. In this particular case, they're calling it north-south syndrome with VA ECMO, and you see our patient over here who has a pink inferior and the top part of their body is blue. That's why they call it Harlequin syndrome because of this. And what is happening is the left ventricle is pumping deoxygenated blood out at a force sufficient enough to make its way around and to interfere or block the ECMO flow coming from the inferior portion of the aorta. This area right here is called a mixing cloud. And this mixing cloud can move from anywhere. It can be down here. It can be up here. It can be all the way over to here. And this can actually still occur even with central cannulation. And we're going to explain a little bit what that is. But this is a very nice graphic, if you will, of that. So continuing with this discussion about the mixing cloud able to move, in this scenario that you see here on top, you have complete LV failure. All of the ECMO blood coming from the femoral is on its way up. It's supplying the left subclavian, the left carotid, the innominate, right carotid, right subclavian, and coming down all the way to the coronary arteries. Here you have initiation of recovery. And you see that you have, again, you have to have, you have to have combined pulmonary failure or concurrent pulmonary failure for this to happen. This will not happen if your lungs work great. You, you will have a difference, but the difference isn't going to be clinically significant or clinically important because your lungs are working just fine. But if your lungs are not working just fine, then what the LV starts ejecting is very low saturation and it can be right here just above the coronary arteries. So you can start to have recovery and then slide backwards again. In this particular case here, the LV is actually recovering nicely and it's able to force the blood around so that now the arch vessels are seeing desaturated blood, but just distal to the left, to the, uh, left subclavian, you see that they're combining, and this would be mixed or very purple. And why this is so critically important is this may not be the LV recovering, but it could be the impella working very efficiently and able to project this blood all the way around the arch, which if this blood is desaturated, that is exactly what the brain is going to see. 
This was a very interesting study, and I want to move out of the way so that you can see it, uh, by uh, Acharya and colleagues. And it's such an interesting, I, I just thought it was very interesting. Uh, it's a CT angiography of the head and extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. And what they did was, if you can look right here, they added, uh, let me ask you a question. Can you take me away from that and just have just the slides so that I can highlight them? Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Here you see contrast. They added the contrast to a peripheral vein. It goes in to the suprivena cava, comes out through the ECMO, goes through the ox pump, the oxygenator. Let's try that again. There you go. There you go, oxygenator, back into the femoral and back up. And then they measured with a scan, the opacification or the, the uh, radiographic uh, imaging, and they were able to see that this section was opacified, so it was radiogenic, you could see it, and here you did not see the contrast. And in this particular scenario, they were able to get the contrast to go all the way up. So this is normal bilateral opacification that you see here. And here you had the heart ejecting and you could see that this was not seeing the contrast. So the right side of the brain was seeing more desaturated blood and the, right si the, uh, the left side was seeing it because the contrast was actually seen. Okay, we can come back up with the thing. So in terms of hemodynamic monitoring of our patient, they initially had a left radial arterial line, and we're gonna talk about why it is so important with peripherally cannulated VA ECMO to always use the right side versus the left side. The patient had a PA catheter. They did eventually, the following day, reposition the art line to the right radial. The blood pressure was 67 over 45, and the uh, PA was 34 over 23, but overnight it rose to 53 over 38. That's a tremendous increase. So what does this look like clinically? So we're gonna go ahead and be starting the scenario now. This is a 34-year-old male, 171 centimeters, 92 kilos, had a massive MI involving the LV, cardiogenic shock, had an impella CP put in at a flow of 3.1 liters. ABG prior to ECMO with the impella was 7.18, PCO2 46, PO2 was 40, bicarb 17, minus 11 on the base, and SAT was 59.6. We got a problem, right? Uh, VA ECMO was initiated with a flow of 4.5 liters. The patient initially stabilized is clearly in need of a transplant. There's nothing we can do for him surgically in the hospital where we are. He needs either a transplant or a device. So he's a bridge to really at this point decision because there's some serious concerns about his neurologic status that we have to assess. But from a cardiac perspective, he needs something more that we can offer. Uh, developed ARDS shortly after the VA ECMO was initiated, so about 24 hours. And it wasn't just ARDS. They had bronched him and found significant 
long clots and copious amounts of thick mucus in his airways. Um, he's on uh, ACPRCV, FIO2 is 100%, tidal volume 500, rate 22, PEEP 12, and peak airway pressures as of my last check was 43. So uh, concerning there. Okay, so quick timeout to start all of the simulation stuff up and uh, we'll get that going. Okay. Okay. So this is our presentation of the patient. So go, uh, go large on the uh, monitor, if you will. Yeah. So this is our initial presentation of the patient uh, when ECMO was started. Um, he's tachycardic with uh, SVT. Uh, his uh, blood pressure is pulsatile, so his LV is ejecting something, 62 over 39. Uh, his saturation is 97, so that's encouraging, right? Um, his PAD that you see there is reading 24. The flow track or random number generator, whichever you prefer, I think the device works pretty well, is 2.8. Again, the patient does have a swan in, which really helps. And uh, the impella, the CP, is running at uh, 3.1 liters per minute. But things here actually look fairly decent. Um, I know that a lab was done, and we can check and see if we got that lab analysis, and we have. So let's pull that lab up. Uh, so the first lab on ECMO was 7.40, 29.2. PO2 was 263.4 minus 6. They gave a lot of bicarb, 27, and a SAT of 99. So that's fantastic, but remember something. Remember, it was drawn from the left radial, plus this patient at the time really didn't, he, he was in severe pulmonary edema, but he hadn't yet really gone into pure pulmonary failure. So it was probably fairly decent even in the right side, though it, it could be either way, right? But they had the pulse socks on the right side. So let's go back to the full monitor. And you can see our pulse ox is reading 95, 96. So yeah, there's fairly decent uh, concurrence there. And uh, you know, I think that everyone was pretty encouraged at this point in time that, okay, we've got him somewhat stable. So the next day, uh, you can go back to the multi-pack. Thank you. And we'll do this. The next day, however, there was a significant change. And this happened at about the 24-hour mark for whatever reason. Nobody really knows what exactly happened. But you can see that our ECMO flow hasn't changed. Everything is the same. The PAD has risen dramatically to 36. Our flow track here is 3.7. Our impella is still three, it was 3.1 uh, before, but you see some very significant differences here. Of course, we sent the blood gas out, and let's go ahead and make the blood gas 
big if you could, and take a look at this. His pH is 7.27, 59, 58 on the PO2, bicarbonate is 27, and the SAT is 85. So the monitor is correct, and this is from the right side. So remember that that, that is a difference, but he's also been bronched and had all of those uh, problems that we talked about. So why is this happening? Let's try to understand that. This didn't happen yesterday. What happened, to what happened in the meantime? So let's get a chest x-ray would be the next most appropriate thing to do in this case. And let's make the chest x-ray big. So there's a lot of information in this chest x-ray that we can see. The right lung is completely whited out. The left lung doesn't look very good. There was no pneumothorax uh, or, or hemothorax, but I, you know, this is a pretty congested lung, just not completely whited out. And again, the bronch revealed a tremendous amount of clot and a tremendous amount of uh, very thick mucus material that was almost rock hard. Uh, in the airways of both lungs. You can see the heart is dilated. You can see the impella here. The tip of the impella is right here. This is the access. This is where the motor is, and the outlet is right about here, just above the aortic valve. But you can definitely appreciate a very large heart, uh, completely obliterated right lung, and the left lung is not looking too much better. So at least we understand why this is happening. And his ventilator, again, his peak pressures have gone up, his volumes have gone down, his, we're still at 100%. What is happening and why is this happening? That's really the question. So let's go back to my uh, 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 slides if you could. And w I showed you this slide before, and it's so critically important that we review this. And I'm gonna show you over there on the mannequin as well. But whatever returns to this heart and is ejected into the aorta, either by contraction or by mechanical means vis-a-vis -vis this impella, is what is going to be seen further up. With the lungs not working at all, whatever the saturation of the blood is here is going to be the saturation here, is going to be the saturation here, is going to be the saturation here, here, and there. Here's another representation essentially of the exact same thing, but a little better view of the heart with the various structures being uh, mentioned there. So what can we do? Well, there's a couple of things here, and I'm gonna go back over to the mannequin and uh, talk from there and then come back and address this slide. So let's switch over to the overhead view if we could. Yeah. No. Just go over there. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. So 
I put this diagram here to sort of represent, not to scale, and we need to do a little, I drew this out last night. Um, we're gonna do a little bit better with that uh, uh, later on, but here's the heart, the LV, here's the ascending aorta, here's the, as it comes up, you have the first branch is the innominant, which branches to the right carotid, right subclavian. The next is the left carotid, and then the left subclavian, so over here. So this territory that you see in this diagram, which would be in the chest, is the difference in where the blood is coming up and why it is so important that you measure the blood gases or you measure the uh, pulse ox from the right side. This sort of lays it out for you. But in addition to this, we have this impella. So the impella is, and the lungs are obliterated. So the LV is filling with desaturated blood. That blood is getting ejected straight out of here, up and around and interfering with our flow here. So what can we do? At the end of the day, we really only have two choices. So I'm gonna go back to the slides if I can. So we really only have two choices. Choice A is to reduce the impeller flow. If we reduce the impeller flow, then our ECMO flow will make its way further up and around. But that's not necessarily a great idea because you saw that chest X-ray with the heart being extremely dilated. And that heart doesn't need to be any more stuffed. It's not gonna benefit that patient all. So lowering the impeller flow is probably not the best option. The second option is to cut a second line into our return. So our return is going to the femoral artery here arterially, but just like we would do VV ECMO for pulmonary failure, we can put a Y connector here and run a line straight up and right into the right IJ, which would then come in and fill the right atrium with oxygenated blood. Some of it would be lost in the recirculation, of course. You may wanna pull this down a little more inferiorly to help protect that. But if you raise the saturation here, you will raise the saturation here, you will raise the saturation here. So anything you can do at this point is either reducing the impella or adding a second line. So we're gonna go ahead and add a second line and take a look and see what that looks like. So let's go back to our overhead of camera five, please. So I hope you all don't mind, but I have taken the liberty of doing this already so that it wasn't something that uh, everyone had to watch me do. Uh, there is a technique for doing it, and it does take a little bit of skill and a little bit of, uh, but that's a different session for a different day of how to do that. But let's take a look here at the circuit. So we have put a Y connector in here. Can we go to the Bevo camera seven? Perfect. And I don't know if you can, you, can you focus in on this or no? No. No? Okay. So here's our Y connector here. We have our return coming from the 
oxygenator, which is arterialized, and it is split. Some of it is going this way into the femoral artery, and the other is coming this way up into the right IJ of the patient. So let's go back to the overview. I think that's a little bit better, yeah. So here's our Y connector. I think I can see that a little bit better right here. Here's our line going to the head, here to the right IJ, and here's our line here. So we have veno to the oxygenator, so dash, veno, arterio, venous. Venous, arterial, venous, ECMO. That's what it looks like. Now, where this becomes a real challenge, so let's go to camera four and I can talk to the, to the folks. Where this becomes, hey Austin, where this, hey man, where this becomes a real challenge is in what are our flows? Well, we have a total flow. So what's our total flow? Go back to, uh, to our multi-pack or to the uh, ECMO simulator. Yeah, our total flow is 4.4. But how is that being divvied up? That's really the question. So what do we do? Well, in order to understand what we're doing, we look to this transonic device. So let's go camera six and we'll show our transonic device. And it has flow probes. So this device is, is great for a variety of things. It has flow probe capability that you see here. And it also has the capability of measuring recirculation and oxygenator blood volume. In this particular case, what we're gonna use it for is for measuring flows. So I'm going to put the blue probe, which is normally venous, on the line going to the head and making sure the arrow is in the correct direction. And can we show that uh, on the overhead? Or, yeah, there you go, right here. Okay, and I'm gonna put the red flow probe on the femoral artery. Okay, very good. Now, remember that screen we were gonna do where you have everything up? So let's go with that. There you go, that is beautiful. Now, what I can tell you is our total flow is 4.43. Our flow going to the femoral artery is 2,730. And our flow going to the venous uh, to the uh, right IJ is 1.7 liters. That is going to be dependent on a variety of factors. So we're splitting it here and here. 2.7 here, 1.7 here. If I take a clamp and I want to have more flow going here than here, then I must partially occlude this line and you can see this has dropped slightly that has increased slightly but our total flow has remained essentially the same now if i didn't have the benefit of these flow probes what i would have to do is remove the flow probe that comes with the ecmo circuit 
and choose which one of these arms I wanted to measure, or both, and then go back there. But we all know that as the resistance of the patient changes, it's going to make a tremendous difference in terms of how this is gonna flow. This can change very dynamically, very quickly, depending on the patient's vascular resistance, position of the head and neck. There's a variety of things that can affect these flows. And the ability to monitor them both together really makes a difference. Now, the trade-off is, if we go over here and look, we can see that our access pressure is already uh, 136 negative. So how much more flow can I really get because the patient was getting 4.5 systemically. But I think we're gonna go ahead and turn it up and see if we can at least generate a higher level of flow. And now we're at five liters with 2,800 RPM and our access pressure is 177. So let's go to camera four. So at the end of the day, where the resistance really is, oops. So sorry. Where the resistance really is, is in the access at this point in time. That's our limiter. And we can add another access line and why those together too, but we're not gonna do that today. Can you go ahead and uh, put that uh, multi-pack, not the, the three things that we just did again. So I wanna see how I affected the flows. So now our total flow is five. Our flow arterially is 2.7 and it's 2.3, so we're gonna imp certainly improve oxygenation tremendously, but our flow did get compromised a little bit. So I'm going to reduce this clamp, and this is why it is so easy. I wanna at least get to three liters on my flow here. And it's as simple as that. Some people use, um, I can't remember the name of the clamps, Hoffman clamps, I think. They're, uh, they're screw clamps. I don't like them. I grew up with tubing clamps and I'm just used to doing this with tubing clamps. So if I wanted to increase this to three liters, I could possibly try to squeeze out a little bit more flow, see what I can get out of it, and voila, this is what you do would do. Now I have three and two, and I, hopefully this will help the patient. So let me go over and let's take a look and see what the simulator tells us occurred when we affected these changes. So let's continue with our simulation, if I can. And now we have this additional line in, and we can see that, um, there you go, that's, uh, that's more where we were at, okay. And you can see our ventilator is still really poor. Uh, the lungs are just not working. But the blood pressures maybe made some modest increase, but our saturation is definitely looking a lot better. Our flow has increased uh, significantly. You see that our pressures where our limitation is. We've stayed at 100% on our, our FiO2 with a sweep of four. And you see our patient there with the various different things attached to him. And the best thing we can do now is let's draw gas from the right radial to see what that is. 
And we see here that the pH is 7.38, PCO2 is 46.4, PO2 is 89.2, base is 2, bicarb 27, and sat 96. So I have to say that at the end of the day, that's uh, probably, uh, you know, about as good as we're going to get. Um, and uh, it's really at this point in time, I think, a waiting game to see what's going to happen and uh, whether we're going to have the patient transferred out for additional uh, uh, treatment or uh, if the uh, neuro checks, uh, you know, prove that that may not be prudent. We don't know yet. We're going to find out. But this is the case that we just got through doing. Um, I, I gathered all of the data as it was coming in and, and created this simulation for you about what differential hypoxia is and what we do about it how you find it, how you guard against it, what you should think about, and uh, hopefully it was of some benefit. Thank you very much, and we will see you next month. Be safe.